The Athletic. Hello, thank you for joining us on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. This could probably be described as something of a podcast extra, kind of a new year, new us kind of vibe, because while we're going to continue to bring you the weekly show, the flagship show, we're also looking to add some extra content this year. So that'll be in the form of the occasional podcast extra episode. We're going to be honing in on some tactical, technical or data analytical questions, things like the problem with Liverpool's midfield. That's what we're talking about today. Fair to say that this season, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool guys haven't looked quite the same. So, Liam, starting with you, what do you consider to be the main problems with Liverpool's midfield right now and how is it impacting the team tactically? It's interesting. Um, I think it's repercussions of things that have happened elsewhere on the pitch and, and Mark and I were discussing this, that um, the absence of Sadio Mane now having left has really seemed to impact their pressing and their counter-pressing as well that they're struggling to, I think, really pin teams back and force those turnovers, of course. If that first line gets played through, then suddenly that's more defending your central midfielders have got to do. I think it's a real shame that Naby Keita can't, you know, be fit enough or, or avoid injuries more to be sort of a, a consistent part of that midfield. Um, Klopp seems to be chopping and changing a bit more. He's tried Harvey Elliott in what looks like sort of a, a number eight role and those sort of outside central midfielders in that triangle, if you like, have got to do a lot of work to cover for the fullbacks in particular. Mm. We know a good Trent and um, Andy Robertson are, but when they're getting high up the pitch, having to make those recovery runs, I think is, is becoming quite challenging, particularly for Henderson, who um, doesn't quite look the same since his injury. Um, and I think they haven't really got the athleticism there that they quite need. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the case that Liverpool, bear in mind as well, that only last season Liverpool were on for a quadruple. Yeah. So let's not go too hell for leather of saying how bad they are. But there's a lot of contextual factors as to why. I think going back uh, a few seasons ago, you could say easily, you could rattle off the midfield and the forward line, which is very well uh, well tuned in that it would be Fabinho, it would be Henderson and it would be Gini Wijnaldum and it would be Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino and Salah on the, the left. And that while oil machine that system was so finely tuned that everyone knew where each other's was and in and out of possession those distances and those patterns of play were so well known and now just because of injuries because of different systems that isn't quite the case anymore and those that those yards are important especially the way that Klopp likes them to play and I think as a consequence they're getting found out and that that defensive line is being exposed a lot more and I don't think it's just the midfield I think with, with uh, Darwin Nunes coming mm. in Obviously, Chamberlain's been playing on the left recently for injury issues as well, that it's just such a, a finely tuned system that when it's slightly sort of out of kilter, you can see the knock-on effects. The butterfly effect, like a deck of cards coming falling down because of one piece being removed. And it sounds from what you're talking about that although we're focusing on the midfield and midfield personnel, it started from the front, really. Yeah, and I think it ends at the back as well. We were discussing about Alisson rating particularly highly as a 1v1 shot stopper. I think last season he was the best in the Premier League. Um, and it's very easy to get, I think, stuck in that outcome thing of there's probably moments last season that we don't remember where the midfield did get played through or they did get bypassed, but it doesn't stick in our mind because we don't have a goal to attach to it because the save got made. And I guess if we're still conceding those chances, the problems are still arising. Um, but when the goals do start getting scored, then suddenly everyone goes, hang on, there's a problem here because now suddenly we're, we're dropping points or we're losing games. Um, and I think given their sort of poor run of form um, and just really sort of struggling to get going in, in the season in particular, that 
everyone sort of feels we want to attach it to one thing or not quite a scapegoat, but say we need to attribute this to there's a problem somewhere, fix this, we fix everything else. And of course, there's more pieces. But I think in particular, this is a, a big sort of glaring air of weakness in somewhere where they haven't recruited um, well in the in the past few years. Yeah, I don't think it's a single problem, exactly as you say. I think the right side of, of central midfield is a bit of an issue in that Harvey Elliott is a young player, really good on the ball. He's probably, if his best position for me, I think is more as a number 10, being able to pick up pockets of space with protection behind him. But he's being asked to be that sort of right-sided central midfielder to be able to provide an attack and also maybe cover for Trent Alexander-Arnold in defence. And he just hasn't got the... At the moment, the defensive awareness, the tactical capability, because he's a young, talented player, that a Jordan Henderson had and did so, so well for Trent Alexander-Arnold to allow him to get into those advanced areas. And then he would plug gaps so, so well, had the energy to do it and would play it right back at times. And it was an underrated, undervalued skill set that I think Jordan Henderson had. Still has, but maybe his, his legs maybe aren't as, as strong for injury reasons, age, things like that. Harvey Elliott is getting a bit of a bad rap at the moment, but I think it's a bit unfair because he's being asked to do something that I don't think is in his skill set and he's still so young as well. So um, I think that the pieces of the puzzle just aren't quite right at the moment. A difficult question, but I think an interesting one. Is the way that things look at the moment in any way to do with a desire from Jurgen Klopp to evolve? We often talk about top teams setting incredibly high standards. And in order to continue to maintain a high level of standard, having to make some changes on on that path and as they go. But there's also a very clear extent to which Liverpool's midfield personnel has been affected by departures, for example, Jeannie Wijnaldum, and just the natural ageing and changing of players and their form in the case of Jordan Henderson, perhaps most specifically. So is what we're seeing on the pitch this season for Liverpool more to do with personnel issues and Klopp trying to cope with that or Klopp's own desire to change the style and teething issues that have come from that. Without seeing on the fence too much, I do think it's a bit of both, mm-hmm. um, to be perfectly honest. I saw something recently that was interesting in, in how much Thiago is so talented on the ball, we know this. But it would often be Fabinho who would be that one to, to collect the ball off the defence, maybe sometimes come in between the two. And Thiago loves to do that as well. So if they're both kind of doing it at the same time, we talk about how they're trying to become a more technical midfield. But if they're both doing that at the same time, that kind of fast harem scarem Liverpool that used to be mm. uh, a few seasons ago, it cannot quite be the same because there's a disconnect between the, the defensive line, the midfield two, and then trying to get it into the, the forward areas as well. So I think at the the cost of trying to be more technical and get on the ball and start to to build up play quite neatly, that intensity has maybe dropped off a, a little bit as well. And the whole uh, in, intensity is their identity stuff from Pep Linders. We know all that sort of stuff. But I think to kind of go into a bit more nuance as to why that is, I sometimes think they're almost a bit too slow in their build-up. And Thiago wants the ball so much. And those diagonals from Virgil van Dijk to Trent mm. Alexander-Arnold that was key to the way that they like to play has maybe started to drop off a little bit. Uh, I think on top of that, we're seeing a lot of teams um, not always line up with a back through on paper, but sometimes 
play in possession more with the back three and often then they'll put in a, an extra central midfielder or they might move someone we've seen it with Manchester City sort of playing Rodri in that floating role between a centre back and a central midfielder um, and obviously if you've got three central midfielders normally and they tend to play sort of truer wingers even if they are inverted but these are, these are forwards not like central midfielders that are, are positioned out wide um, it can be easy to get overloaded and I think that that just becomes a fundamental issue that when you have got sort of one player fewer it becomes harder to press um, and I guess it gets quite discouraging and if you are constantly trying to press or counter press and in two or three passes they can quite quickly play through you um, I think that's one thing where in terms of the evolution they might start to go a bit further is have a sort of a few different styles or shapes that they can play mm. or at least more of a more of a plan B I know the discussion is about maybe going to a 4-2-3-1 again quite similar to mm. um, sort of a, a 4-3-3 but I think we've seen that with Spurs under albeit a different manager um, Chelsea trying it now as well um, definitely Manchester United uh, and, and City too so I, I guess it's that of They've had so much success with a, with a system that you kind of want to stick with it. But as we start to see a lot of those sort of pieces that were key to that, um, you might then start needing to go, we can't just stick to this because the players are, as we say, changing and mm -hmm. they're aging. And I guess it becomes a lot harder when you do get to, you know, be on the mark of 30 and not to uh, mm -hmm. abuse anyone for their age. But um, as you get older, it's going to be more difficult to do that. And physically, yeah, you can't maintain that for too long. I mean, you talk about that. I mean, the, the whole harem scarem approach that I mentioned before, we've actually got some data to, to look at that as well in terms of the defensive actions that they make in relation to the, the rest of the league, the league average. And I sort of worked it back to 2019-20 to show that evolution over time. Um, and essentially, you can see it, it kind of goes from grey to red. The more red um, it is on the, the pitch, it's split up into different zones. The more red it is on the pitch, the higher they are above average in making those defensive actions. And put simply, you can see that there's a, a large proportion of uh, Liverpool in the opponent's half is, is red, which shows they are above average in making those defensive actions. Pressing from the front, whether it is the forward line and being supported um, by the midfield, um, very clear from 2019-20. And then moving on to 2021, very much the same in terms of it being um, red in the opponent's half well above average. Move it to 21-22, very much the same story, slightly more in, in terms of that right uh, right side, which you think about uh, Jordan Henderson supporting Trent Alexander-Arnold in making those defensive actions, winning it back, and Liverpool being so key in the counter-press in that transitional phase. This is all building to 22-23 season, which, as I mentioned, it goes from kind of grey to red. And a lot more than the other seasons, it looks far more distinctly grey across the whole pitch, which suggests they are far more, I guess, at league average in terms of their defensive actions all over the pitch. So the point being that the data does back up the idea that they're not quite pressing from the front all that much. We speak about Liverpool's um, high defensive line. It's not as much, it's been covered quite a lot by Jamie Carragher and Sky Sports News and things like that, that it's not necessarily about Liverpool's high line being as much the issue. It's the fact that they're not pressing enough to then allow that, uh, that high line to be exposed so much. And it definitely backed up by the data. That's the fundamental thing you need if you're going to play with the high line is to put pressure on the ball because otherwise you are literally enticing teams to, to play over it. And unless you've then got Alisson playing at these completely, to a degree, unsustainable, I know world-class players are always sort of outperform metrics, but it, it's not realistically you know, useful for a team to say, we're going to just keep letting our goalkeeper have 1v1s and hope that he can stop a high proportion of these. Yeah, and, and Liverpool are a team that were built around playing in a sustainable way, a long-term way with long-term players. And um, I guess like you see with a lot of top teams, there are times now where that either you choose to evolve or maybe you get forced. I think they're kind of in between uh, both at the moment. So part of the goal of this podcast is to understand the issues, which you've explained very well, uh, but also to test you guys out a little bit in terms of, I guess, 
you know, kind of putting a recruitment hat on, shall we say, your your scouting chops, whether it's using data, whether it's uh, Liam with your, your tactical knowledge and your perceptiveness on that front. So one of the names that's come up a lot recently, looking back at Liverpool's all-conquering team and that all-conquering midfield that works so well together is Genie Vinaldum, very much conspicuous by his absence now at Liverpool and therefore perhaps the more the time goes on, more appreciated for what he brought to that team. Let's not worry too much about how they look like right now. Remind me what Liverpool's midfield at its best looked like as a unit and why Vinaldum was so important to it. I think it's it, borrowing a phrase that's kind of already been used with Liverpool's midfield, but it was very much functional. And I think Gino Alden was really key to that. Um, from a data perspective, which is what I always like to, to look at first and foremost in a player's profile, Gino Alden doesn't really stand out from any perspective. But I think, as you say, conspicuous by his absence mm. now that you really start to see what he did kind of do. I think what he did bring was was massive ball retention, um, which was really, really key to the way that Liverpool just wanted to tick things over. They were very, very transitional. And then when it did need someone just to put the foot in it, he was doing that really well. He was so press resistant. He was really, really good at attracting players towards him, two, three players, and maybe get out, wriggle out of trouble. That would open up space for others. And Liverpool are devastating within that transition, as I say. So Is that something that can be well reflected by the numbers? I sort of think of, of a press-resistant midfielder, and I think I can picture it, and I think I know it when I see it. And I'm not always sure which numbers I should be looking at to measure it. Yeah, I mean, you could look at things like past success rate under pressure, those sorts of stuff. But um, just in general, I think, well... Possession statistics are quite misleading for that reason. That if you make five-yard passes for the whole game and have a 100% pass completion, then it's, it's misleading, which is why we've got things like possession value, expected threat, etc. But I think whatever the situation, high up the pitch and maybe deeper, Van Elden was just really good at being able to tick the play along. And that's not to say that Thiago isn't as his replacement. He's a fantastic player on the ball. We know that. But it's just a different profile of player to, to be able to do that. And to Thiago's credit, he tries things that Van Alden doesn't. And sometimes it was frustrating to to watch Liverpool games and see that he isn't actually making that diagonal pass or that threaded pass, which Thiago does look to do. But it's it's the balance, right? It's one at the cost of the other. Yeah, I think if I think of Gini Van Alden and I have to pitch something in my head, it's probably him receiving on the half turn and, and playing forward or um, very fluid, not, not a player that seemed to play too much at high intensity, not as a critique, but um, as you say, a control player. And, and to build on the point, Ali, you make about press resistance there there's definitely some metrics you can look at for a guide and but I think they're probably um, more a repercussion of being a good or less good press resistant player um, it's probably a lot more that you, I think you need to see by looking at because it's going to be how a player can use deception the positions they take up how well they're aware of their surroundings where sort of the opposition are so I, I think players with sort of good pass completion particularly under pressure um, it might not entirely be down to their press resistance so there's there's other sort of compounding things and I think that's the answer with, with anything currently I'd say when scouting a player is there's data you should look at there's you know what you see visually that you should look at both in terms of clips and across sort of a, a full game um, you know t people when they're working at clubs get access to um, sort of physical data you can track people more more in depth and it can't be one thing anymore. You can't say, oh, he's good because he's good on this metric or I see this one clip. It needs to be he ticks boxes on this, this, this and this. Um, and that's, I think, how you get that cross-examination of, you know, they're, they're definitely good enough in that regard. I mean, one final thing on Van Alden. I do have his smarter scout profile. 
it was from the the title winning season for Liverpool, and it doesn't necessarily nothing really massively stands out in that regard. Mm. So you can see his link up play volume, which is essentially that he plays a lot of short, neat passes, which again tallies with the eye test, everything we've spoken about, and his ball retention ability is really really high as well, well above average. So again, it shows that he's very precious and matches what we we see. But other than that, really, there isn't a great deal. He's not massive in his defensive uh, intensity, even though we know he is solid defensively. He's not offering a great deal going forward from an attacking perspective in his contribution towards his team's chances. So he is a bit of an enigma in trying to quantify exactly what he does. But as you say, when you take him out of the team, that's when you notice. Okay, so that was then. Uh, What about now? Always on the podcast, Mark, we talk about partnerships. We talk about balance. You like to use the word alchemy. (laughs) I sometimes like to use the phrase puzzle pieces. It all basically suggests the need to find players that fit together to make the most of a game plan. So in terms of puzzle pieces and alchemy for the current Liverpool, do they need to find a Wijnaldum replacement, try and find 2019 Wijnaldum and buy that player? Or does a change in style necessitate a different profile if you're trying to put together some puzzle pieces? I don't know what you think, Liam. I think that... There is definitely this this evolution in style, for, for sure. I think one reason that Liverpool have been criticised is that their, their midfield three of Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago is a very, very good midfield. And as I say, it was a midfield that nearly won the quadruple last season. I think if we're going to sort of criticise them this season, it's because they haven't all been fit and on form at the same time. I think that's sort of a, a key point to make. I think also they are all over the age of well, 29 plus, I think you mentioned that before, Liam, that that is key to why they definitely need another sort of bit of balance there. In terms of do they need a Vinaldum replacement, I don't think it is that they need to kind of plug back in a, a Vinaldum replacement. I don't know what that evolution would be. I think what Liverpool need is probably more of a box-to-box presence, which I don't think any of those current three, and including Vinaldum, are. I think they need a bit more kind of energy going up and down. I'd probably say that Navigata is that, profile of player in the Liverpool squad at the moment but he doesn't have the sufficient well he has too many injuries basically he doesn't have the sufficient fitness to be able to hold that um, that place down and I think his contract is up at the end of the season so I don't know if I'm quite answering your question but I think that Vinaldo bringing back a Vinaldum 2.0 I don't think is the answer okay well let's see what you guys have, have come up with I've set you a, a scouting task is it it's, a, it's broadly replacing Genie Vinaldum, but with what, I guess, is a big question. Uh, firstly, some questions on, on how you guys approach stuff like this. I mean, for me, it feels like physical attributes are still very important here. Even if the style of play is a little less rock and roll, you're going to want in a midfield that contains Thiago, that contains Jordan Henderson. To my eyes, it seems obvious you're going to want someone with a strong physical profile as well. So my question to you guys is, how do you approach this? How do you scout physicality in a central midfielder as a broad term? Liam, what are you looking out for? You sort of know more when you see it, which is quite mm-hmm. quite a bad answer. But I think you can see how players move, um, but also how aware they are and how they tend to defend and operate based on how they move. So I think Jude Bellingham, I know someone who's been linked as a really good example, but... Um, 
particularly for a size someone who's quite tall, incredibly light, but turns very quickly, very well, um, and uses that in his game. So, you know, we'll get uh, players and press them. There's some great examples in the World Cup. I think of the, the Senegal game where he made one of the goals from, you know, jumping up, making a regain, and he then becomes that central midfielder, making those runs beyond the ball. Um, there's other midfielders that won't be as quick that, you know, might be more conscious of their positioning because they know that they can't get caught in sort of a, a foot race. So I, I think seeing how aware players are of that and then when they go up against players or they're in a, a position where they're up against someone maybe bigger or smaller than them, you know, how well you can do across, I think I like to look across like a wide variety of situations. So um, how balanced are they? Are there any situations where they sort of stand out for super strength? So are they really good at pressing in this situation? Um and as I know Mark's actually before is what becomes difficult is with defending it then becomes the absence of things so often if a player is say blocking a passing lane well well you you know that because the pass isn't going to get through which is harder because you're then looking for things that aren't happening yeah. um, but then you've got to think about okay what am I not seeing that's a result of this being good or if I am seeing something is that a result of them not doing something as well. I mean, from a data perspective, we've spoken about the difficulty of using physical data to actually uh, attribute success at the team level and at the player level as well. But I imagine from a sports science perspective, if you're going to look to recruit a certain player, you are going to be looking to maybe benchmark that player if there's data that's available against the sorts of high intensity runs, the sort of distance covered that you do um, within your current squad as well. So it's filled with context. You'd have to do it massively from from eye as well as obviously the data, but you could quite easily, I guess, benchmark their sort of running statistics against the current crop. So many things to consider, but if I'm very simply asking you, if you were part of Liverpool's recruitment team, who would be the names on your shortlist to sign in the central midfield area? Talk me through who you've got. Well, yeah, I can take this. I mean, we, we did a piece um, fairly recently on site, me, um, Andy Jones, uh, and Liam, you helped out on this as well, didn't you? That Rather than saying who plays like Genie Wijnaldum, we thought this wasn't kind of the best way to go about it. But we said what attributes that Genie Wijnaldum has do we like? All the things that we've spoken about, that press resistance, that being able to kind of link play really neatly. Um, if you've got anything else as well as that, it's a bonus, right? Um, and starting with, I liked the symmetry of this one, starting with Joe Willock at Newcastle United. I thought it was a really good one because obviously Genie Wijnaldum coming to Liverpool from Newcastle. And... He's a really good example of someone who does run beyond the opposition midfield, gets forward. He does quite a lot of kind of intangibles. There was a really good piece on site by Jacob Whitehead, which showed that, that he is just kind of always there, really good energy. He's able to carry the ball forward as well, which of course is a bonus. But you can see from his smart scout profile here that he is really high in link-up play volume, being able to just play those neat and tidy passes well above average in terms of his ball retention ability, being able to just keep the, the play ticking over. And as I mentioned, being able to run off the midfield, his attacking numbers here are really strong, really good uh, ability to get into the opposition box, 96 out of 99 uh, rated on Smarter Scout. Um, loves a shot as well when given the opportunity, um, shot volume here, 95 out of 99. So pretty well-rounded in that regard. Who are the other names on the shortlist, Liam? All I was going to say about Joe Willock is also playing in a 4-3-3 as sort of a slick 6 slash 8. So if you mm. want, I don't think it's too important to focus on, you know, the the team style because most players are quite good at adapting. But um, in terms of seeing someone in a style like you play, I think they're quite comparable of, of you know, good fullback sides that want to attack in similar ways. So it's, um, I think it becomes easier to see that that transition and, and that's definitely something that's, that's key to consider. Um, one of the players I'd sort of focus on more that I'm aware of more is Moises Caicedo. Um, that obviously, Andy just mentioned to me is someone who, um, obviously United attract I believe and, and other clubs were looking at before um, obviously Brighton picked him up and 
if we look at his smart cut pizza chart, it feels a bit harsh on him if I'm honest, because he, he's kind of like average at most things um, and link up play rates quite highly in terms of, as Mark said before, playing these short, sharp passes. Um, also, I think a lot down to the style on the Deserby of playing very much in sort of a, a fixed double pivot, often alongside Alexis McAllister, again with a back four um, and these inverted wingers in front. So I don't think this is showing his sort of ceiling by any means, that this is a player who could be a number eight. Uh, we saw him at the start of the season uh, under Potter being a bit more attacking. That's a great goal against Leicester. If people want an example of um, him sort of, you know, running beyond, ending up in the box and scoring from, I think, like 12 yards on the angle. So this is a player that can do that. Um, his engine is incredible. And um, for anyone watching him play for Ecuador, he just runs and runs all day, plays in a 4-3-3 for Ecuador. Um, a very good, clean, neat tackler. Um, phys- um, we spoke about physicality before. I think is a good example of how we can sort of get caught up in our own perceptions because he looks quite skinny. He's quite lean, but really good as a tackler, really good as a jeweler, um, holds his ground very well and is really good because he can make a tackle uh, and start an attack and then doesn't just need to play a five-yard pass. He can you know, go on a driving run, he can break lines um, and he's very comfortable in particular. One of the things I did note was often Brighton will like to push their fullbacks on, particularly Purvis and Stupinan um, down the left and Kaiseido will often drop out into that sort of zone and, and be the link between centre-back and fullback, which of course is something that Liverpool do regularly. So it's not essential, as I mentioned, to have that you know, translation, but seeing a player that can do those things that you want them to do can only be a good thing, I'd imagine. But of course, as a Brighton fan, you don't want Moise Caicedo to go anywhere. No, he's um, terrible. Don't look at him. Um, we have two more on the list. Um, Nicola Barella came out as another player who likes to look after the ball really neatly, um, has good sort of defensive play as well. And he's he's sort of comfortable in playing in a midfield three as well, right? So Inter Milan play in a 3-5-2. A um, so he's, he's part of the, a midfield three. He's not quite the same, I don't think, in terms of the other profile of player that we've spoken about before. He's far more attack-minded, uh, I think, which, granted, we did speak about that with, with Joe Willett, but you do also want someone who's going to be able to sort of tick the play over a little bit more and be a bit unselfish uh, at times. And Brella likes to get on the ball and create, which is a fantastic trait. And you can see from his profile just how much he likes to, to get the ball forward. So his progressive passing here, 83 out of 99, well above average in looking to progress the ball 10 metres uh, upfield or more. Uh, his attacking numbers are, are really strong as well in terms of his contribution um, towards his, his team's chances so that XG from shot creation being um, above average but as I say even with those traits he's able to keep the ball really well so ball retention ability being 56 out of 99 clutching at straws a little bit with, with Barella I'd say I think one of the interesting ones and I know he's been rumoured a lot with a move away um, after a fantastic World Cup is Azadine Unahi currently at Angers. Um, I've got his profile from last season here just for the purpose of uh, minutes uh, on Smarter Scout. And he is, well, everyone obviously saw him in the World Cup doing so, so well, but he's he's really good at carrying the ball, I think, in central areas. He's really agile. You think that he's quite lightweight to look at him, but you really can't sort of push him off the ball. Um, I think he's a, his athleticism, I think, is, is really key as well. I think that's something that Liverpool need for all the reasons we've spoken about, being able to plug the gaps, really good energy to, to get up and down. His defensive intensity, 81 out of 99, really, really strong. And essentially, that means he's getting tight to his man and looking to make a defensive action. So he's not kind of... Uh, you know, a couple of yards away from the ball, he's really tight to um, to close down. Um, and his link-up play volume, as you can see there, 89 out of 99, really strong. So maybe in terms of more cost-efficient option, really young player, Azadine Nunahi, been rumoured with a lot of uh, a lot of clubs, um, could be a good one. There's a lot of different types of, of profile of player, not just in terms of what they do on the pitch, but also 
you know the real the realistic nature of a transfer the fee itself of course and and how much liverpool would be looking to spend on this front there's probably two uh, names who'd be at the more expensive end of the spectrum uh, two players who played together for england at the world cup Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham, two different profiles of midfielder. How would you analyse either of those, both of those players as a, a, a potential Liverpool player? Well, we did a piece together on Jude Bellingham in the World Cup, Liam. I'll let you sort of go on to that. I think he's the one most rumoured with Liverpool. Obviously, his age profile is akin to what Liverpool would look to do. And he's just also a very, very talented player, irrespective of his age. Um, I do think there's going to be a premium on his price tag, which is why maybe Liverpool could or should look elsewhere. Um, but you showed just how much Bellingham does have a bit of everything in a central midfielder. Yeah, so we looked at him as the, the number 22 shirt that he wears, obviously, as a result of, I believe, his time at Birmingham City, which obviously they, they retired that shirt, uh, being a number four, a number eight and a number 10. So as we say, being um, these different sort of profiles of being able to drop out into the wide zones and, you know, connect with um, centre-backs and sort of full-backs when they're, they're pushed high and wide, playing between the lines. And it was his first goal for England, I believe, but also popping up in the box and sort of arriving to attack crosses and whatnot. So he's probably the more well-rounded option. Um, but I, I do also see some similarities between him and some of the attackers that, that uh, Liverpool have, sorry, the attack-minded central midfielders that um, I could see if you considered maybe rejigging the midfield that Declan Rice might be um, possibly more short-term, but maybe more of a, an instant fix in the sense that, um, you know, he's a really, really good ball winner for West Ham in particular. I know he does a lot more defending there, um, but he's really athletic. I think his driving runs are incredible when he picks the ball up like edge of his own box and, and just takes off. And uh, he's got quite a good ball shot but I think his ability to start attacks and then really build them, um, his recovery pace is quite good. He does, he seems very committed to make those sort of 70, 80 yard um, sort of sprints back and you could quite feasibly play him at the base of sort of a midfield triangle and have, you know, Thiago, um, possibly Harvey Elliott and Navigato, you know, you're more maybe attack-minded players rather than just saying, let's recruit solely for this position, maybe consider the different ways that you could, you know, your different alchemies you could have, so to speak, for your uh, midfield dynamics. Well, that could feed into the idea that Liverpool might and sh probably should change their formation maybe a little bit or be a little bit more versatile. And as you say, they've they've tested a 4-2-3-1, they've tested a 4-4-2, or at times it was a 4-2-4. Um, but that could work maybe a little bit more in having Fabinho and Rice more as the sort of the defensive destroyers who can also play and uh, in the case of Rice, maybe carry it forward a little bit more. And then the 4-2-3-1 would then free up more attacking players. And Liverpool are stacked in terms of the attacking players. Yeah. They've obviously just brought in Cody Gakpo. But when all are fit, you've got Diogo Jota, Mohamed Salah, Roberto Firmino, Luis Diaz, um, I'm forgetting Fabio Carvalho. Well. Fabio Carvalho. There's, there's, a, there's a ton. And to get them all in and happy at the same time, um, could be a 4-2-3-1 could be a way around that. Okay, well, our short list has become a kind of mid-length list. <laughs> You've got great. one last chance to mention any more names, turning it turning it into a long list. Anyone else we need to think about? I'm sure there's, there's many that I've forgotten in the moment, but I'm sure Liverpool will have a, a longer list than, than we have. Um, but I think they just need to be a little bit shrewd in, in the market. Enzo Fernandez being obviously a, a key name that um, they've been linked with, but you don't want to be paying too much of a premium just because it's maybe the obvious uh, fit. Lots of interesting questions for Jurgen Klopp and for the recruitment team at Liverpool to try and get the team and this midfield back on the level that they're hoping to attain, getting back to the very top of the English game and challenging for European honours as well. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast extra, comment below. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about in future because I've got some of the sharpest minds in football, tactical and data analysis with me. We've got nothing but time and energy. And what we want to do is ask you what you'd like to see from us so that we can help to provide the very best content that we possibly can in the next few months and beyond on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Thanks for tuning in. The Athletic.